If you have your text, we're going to be in Colossians 2 tonight. Um, if you don't have one, there should be one in the queue in front of you. Um, as we're getting there, though, I just want to first say thank you to all of you. Um, I cannot even begin to describe just the impact that all of you have had on my life over these last few months. Um, I get emotional just even thinking about it because you, all as I look out here, not a group of strangers that I'm just talking to tonight, you have become my family. Um, and I'm just so thankful for that. And with that, I just want to say what a privilege it is to come and open God's Word and be able to go through it with a group of like-minded believers uh, that I know are not here to judge what I'm saying or to critique me, but are here to build me up, um, to just help me out while I walk with the Lord. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to read the text, and then we're, I'm going to pray, and we'll get underway. Starting in verse 1, going through uh, verse 15. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those of Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, after you given us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, by triumphing over them and let's pray. God, you are so powerful, you are so loving, and you are so gracious, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave it to us, Lord. We just thank you for the way that you are moving in this church, Lord, um, just the way that you're moving the people here, Father. Father, tonight I pray that I would be made small and you'd be made big, Lord, that I would hide behind your cross and it would be your word spoken tonight. Father, I just thank you for this body of believers and the blessing that they have been in my life. And Lord, I just pray that your words be spoken tonight, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so as many of you probably know, this past semester I had the opportunity to uh, be an intern and student teacher at a middle school in Fort Mill. Uh, this middle school is called Gold Hill Middle School. Uh, and I work with the PE teachers there, two of them there. And, uh, so for the first couple of weeks we just observed them. Uh, see how they worked, and after that we would either co-teach with them or teach the class ourselves. Um, and there was one week where we were teaching volleyball, and we were on the um, server volleyball, and if you don't know this, a lot of middle schoolers have not played volleyball before they got to middle school. Um, so we had one student who struggled quite a bit, but he always had the best attitude. Um, so there was one day where we had gone through the volleyball serve, and um, they were going to play some different modified games with it, and I just saw him struggling to make it up with that, and you could just see him getting more and more discouraged the more that he tried. So I was about to walk over to him and give him some pointers, um, just go through the skills again. But as I was on my way over, 
uh, one of the students in the class, one of the girls that actually played on the volleyball team, I saw make her way over to him, and she was beginning to encourage him. And she didn't only just encourage him, she instructed him again with the skills, uh, what he should be doing with the skills. So I saw this, and as, he, as she's talking to him, as she's encouraging him, you can just see his entire demeanor change. Um, he began to believe in himself. He began to believe he could get that ball over the net. Um, and so he had another try, and he did. He got it over the net. And he got so excited. <laughs> I've never seen that much excitement of a volleyball going over the net in my life. He was going around, running around with everybody on his team, giving them high fives, screaming, jumping up and down. Um, the only problem with that was that it was a game, and the ball was hit back to him, and he was not ready. <laughs> um, so... With that being said, our lives are not a volleyball game, they're not a basketball game, they're no sporting event. Um, that's a very trivial example compared to our lives. But what Paul is writing here to the Church of Colossae is to encourage them. He's writing to encourage them and to warn them. He's writing to encourage them in the walk and then to warn them against false teachers that are rising up in the church. Um, and with that encouragement, he also instructs them. He gives them encouragement with instruction like we see in that example that I just told you about the volleyball player encouraging the boy in the class, but also instructing him at the same time. So we see that here in um, Paul's letter to the, Col to the Colossians. Um, like I said, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And that brings us to verses 1 through 3. And we're going to make four points today. We're going to have four different encouragements. The first one is the encouragement of love. Right. So verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read them again. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who lay in and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom we are in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first thing I want us to see here is before Paul even begins to encourage them and instruct them, he actually models this love for them. Uh, we see that in verse one where it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. You don't have to struggle with somebody you don't care about. Paul loved this church, he loved the people here, and he truly cared about them. And so Paul is already modeling that behavior before he ever encourages or instructs them. So when we go in and encourage other people, we need to be modeling what we're encouraging them with. We're not supposed to just be living one way and instructing another way. Um, that goes back to kind of like we see in James with uh, not being just hearers, but also doers. It's kind of the same concept. We need to be doers, we need to be following this behavior. So we see Paul already modeling that. And then this is where we really want to get into uh, the meat of this point here, is that their hearts may be encouraged to knit together in love. Now, Pastor Dave did a lot on this with the unity earlier today in our sermon this morning. Um, I looked over at someone and said, you literally just hijacked my first point for tonight. <laughs> but it was a great sermon. Um, and it leads well into this because it says we need to be knit together in love. So I want us to think about, one, why that's important for us to be, to be knit together in love, like, what, what meaning does that have? Two, how do we do that? And then three, what is like the purpose? Like how does that help us in our walk? So the why is one that, just think about what uh, Robin said this last week when he was preaching. The greatest apologetic is the church. Uh, we have a group of people here, and I think we do this pretty well here at Park, that love each other, that have nothing in common apart from the gospel. Um, you see somebody that is a 20-year-old college student, and a 75-year-old senior saint that have nothing in common apart from the gospel, and they're able to go and have good, rich conversations. That's not seen in the everyday world. Um, you, you don't see that in just the common workplace. You don't see that in the common restaurant or mall or wherever you're at. 
but you see that it's because of the gospel. So if somebody's looking from that on the outside, they're going to say, that, that looks different. Like, what? Why? why? That doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. Um, so that's why it's so important, or one of the many reasons why it's so important, and it's also important for our unity. If we're not knit together in love, then we're not truly unified. We can come together and uh, sing some songs and listen to a sermon every week, but if we don't truly love each other, we're not really going to be growing together. We're just going to be individuals coming here on a Sunday morning, or Sunday evening, or Wednesday evening. We're not going to truly be growing together. So then it comes into, one, how do we do this? Uh, we're being knit together in love, one, by the obvious answer here, loving one another. Um, I know that sounds like so very obvious, but I think we need to really be conscious about that. We need to love one another, not just show up and, yes, these conversations we have are great. It can be great to have a conversation with somebody before or after service, but truly loving someone needs to be involved in their everyday life. We're not being knit together in love if we're only communicating with people when we walk into the church. We need to be involved in each other's lives. We need to be loving one another, and we need to be participants with each other. Also, it by no means is easy. Um, we know that we are all sinners here. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we will all do things to anger other people in this room, outside of this room, wherever we are. So like we talked about this morning, being unified means we need to have that forgiveness. We need to be ready to forgive, and then we also need to be ready to ask for forgiveness. Because we're not the only ones that other people are not the ones that are going to do things wrong. We're going to do things to wrong others. So we need to ask for that forgiveness. And the thing with this love is we have the greatest model of love of all time in Christ. He is the one that came on this earth and lived a perfect life and then died on the cross for our sins. For people that turned their back on him, we were the people that would put him on that cross. And he came and died for us. So he showed us the greatest model of love of all time. And then three days later, he rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with him. And since he has given that to us, who are we to hold something against someone that they did? They're simple. They're like us. And we have the audacity sometimes to hold things against people because they sinned against us. Think about if that was Christ. Think about if he had that same mentality. We need to have the mentality of Christ because he has given us life. Because he has given us this greatest model of love. And then why is it so important in the church? We said one for unity, one for what people see on the outside. Well, then three, we see it right here in the uh, end of verse 2 and going into verse 3, where it says, To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, if we're not loving one another and being knit together in love, we can't fully understand what Christ is about. We can't fully understand the mystery, which is Christ. Because if we're not modeling it, like I said earlier, if we're not modeling it, if we're not living it, then we're not understanding it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect by any means. We all, like I said, we're all simple. We're all going to have times where we're not quick to forgive. We're not quick to ask for forgiveness. But we have this model here that shows it. it's not too late. We can still come back. We can still ask for forgiveness. Um, and we can still love one another. All right, that brings us to our next point, And that is the encouragement in our role. We see this is in verse six, verses 6 through 7. And these are two of my favorite verses in the Bible right here. Because we see, I'm going to read it real quick. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So when we read that, 
I first want us to look where it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in it. There's an immediate action there. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in it. It's not two weeks later. It's not a year later. It's not five minutes later. It's an immediate action. And that's not just the immediate action of right when we give our life to Christ and we walk in. Yes, it's that. But it's continuing that urgency throughout our walk with Christ. See, I think one of the biggest problems that we face now in our world as Christians um, in the church, I don't see it as much here, but just in general in the Christian community, is that we are way too complacent. And I'm saying that about myself as well. We don't know when our last day is. We don't know when our best friend's last day is. We don't know when our family member's last day is. We don't know when our co-worker, uh, when our children, our spouses, our families, nobody. We don't know when their last day is. And we just sit over here and sometimes say, holy, we'll do this tomorrow. We'll do this next week. We'll do this next month. But we don't know. You see, we have the greatest news that has ever been Share of all time for eternity. And that is Christ. And we sit here a lot of times according to ourselves and do nothing with it. Because we push it off until tomorrow or next week. We don't have the right to do that. Think about if someone that you were pushing that off for said they got into a fatal car accident the next day and you're never going to share that with them. Think about that co-worker that you work with. They could resign and you never see them again. That next door neighbor, they can move. Anything can happen. So we need to not be complacent in this. And in that same mindset, we need to be not complacent in our own walk with the Lord, in our own time with Him. We need to be constantly pushing to grow closer to Him. Now, is that to say that we're going to constantly be having huge seasons of growth? No, we're not. We're not times where we don't see as much growth in our lives. We need to be constantly striving after the Lord. We don't need to be pushing it off until next week or next month or next year. We need to be constantly striving after him. And then going into the second part of this verse, or actually verse 7, it says, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I love this imagery of being rooted and built up in the faith. Um, When I think of rooted, I at first think of a plant, a tree, some type of plant. And I just think the roots are what hold it, what's its foundation. And that is true, and that is what Paul is pointing to us here, is that foundation. But the thing about all about this imagery of roots is that roots do not just provide the foundation for that plant. You see, the roots also provide all the nourishment. That's where all of the nourishment comes for that plant. So all of our nourishment comes from Christ, from our relationship with God. And here's the thing also with that uh, imagery of the plant. If a plant is plucked out of the ground, it is uprooted. On the outside, it's going to look like it's alive for a little while. It's going to still be pretty. If you think of a rose, it's still going to be pretty on the outside. But on the inside, it is slowly withering away and dying. And eventually, that's going to be what happens on the outside, too. It's going to be completely dead. And that's people that are not plugged in with Christ. They may look alive on this earth, but on the inside, they are separated from God. They are slowly withering away die. And when they pass away on this earth, they're going to be like that rose that is completely shriveled up and dead on the outside. They're going to be eternally separated from Christ. Now on the other hand, for those of us that are plugged into Christ, that are have a relationship with Him, we're constantly going to have that nourishment. 
we are constantly going to be fully alive on the inside. And when we pass away on this earth, we are going to still spend eternity with them. And then also the thing with the uh, imagery of the tree or plant or anything, is as we talked about a minute ago, we're not always going to have just a perfect uh, growth in our life. There's going to be times where we don't see much growth. Think about a tree. It goes through seasons where it looks dead on the outside. You don't see growth in it. But on the inside, it's still preparing for that perfect growth. It is still preparing to be uh, grown into blooming, beautiful, beautiful uh, fruits, plants, whatever. Uh, I'm not a plant guy. <laughs> um, but it is still being prepared for that growth. And it is still growing and producing. And that is what's so encouraging about our walk, is that you're not always going to have what we call that spiritual high sometimes. You're not always going to feel like you're as close with God. But when we're not, we can be encouraged because we know that He is still working in us and we need to be obedient, still following and running after Him. Um, and that brings us to our third point, which is the encouragement of our faith. In verses 8 through 10, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and if you deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So we see there, verses 8 through 10, um, this is where we start to see that warning of the false teachers rising up in the church. Um, and while we need to be very conscious and careful about false teachers rising up in our church, we know that we need to do that. Um, we always have to be able to look out for that because it can happen without your eyes sometimes. Because um, we all are sinners. There's a chance that anybody that gets up to teach could say something wrong. They may not even mean it, but they could say something wrong. So we just need to be conscious about that and correct it when we see it. But past that, we need to be uh, aware of false teachers just in our everyday life. Because we're going to see people we see through 8 to 9, and if you look back in verses uh, 4 through 5, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, and I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So we see people are going to try to take us, take us captive by these plausible arguments, uh, by the philosophy, and empty deceit, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. We see this all the time in our workplace if you're uh, in the workforce, in our classes if you're a college student, uh, middle school, high school, elementary school student, uh, sometimes neighbors, sometimes family members, uh, sometimes just the mailman at McClare House. We can see people trying to take us captive with these different thoughts, different religions, or atheism, or uh, Scientology, or anything like that. We see people trying to take us captive. And what Paul's saying here is that we must resist that, and that we must stand up for Christ. We must not only resist it, but we must speak the truth. We see in 1 Peter, uh, let me, let me talk about here, so I don't think I want to believe it. 1 Peter 3-8, or not 3-8, 1 Peter 3, sorry, I said that wrong, 1 Peter 3 15. It says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, so we need to be ready to have this rebuttal to people that come, with, to, come to us with false claims 
We need to be ready to speak up for Christ. But one thing that we need to remember is that it says to do this with gentleness and respect. We are not to get hostile. We are not to sit there and uh, yell at them or get angry with them. Now, that's not to say sometimes you have to be blunt. Sometimes if someone's not listening, we have to tell them that what they're reading is incorrect. Because it is. And we have an entire book here that proves it. An entire, actually, an entire 66 books that prove it. Um, and this entire God, God's word that he has given to us to fight these claims. Because, beloved, all that we need is right here. There's a reason that God has given us this. Because it is exactly what we need. Nothing less, nothing more. This is what we need to follow Him. And so in order to give these rebuttals, in order to follow God's call for us to stand up for Him, and to do this with gentleness and respect, we must know God's Word. We must know what He's telling us. We must be able to back up what we believe. Um, and with that, sometimes that calls for us to memorize Scripture. could be a few verses. could be a chapter. could be a whole book. Um, but we are called to memorize Scripture so that we can then go and proclaim it to people. Now I stand up here saying that not as someone who is perfect with this, um, but as someone who is striving to get closer to that. Now I don't expect anybody to probably ever memorize the entire Bible. Um, if you do, please come talk to me and tell me how you did it, because I would like to know. Um, but we need to be memorizing Scripture that we can then use to defend our faith. Because that is what we are called to do. And that brings us to our fourth point, which is brings us to, I said that six or seven were two of my favorite verses in the Bible. And this fourth point, these last couple ones may be my absolute favorite. Um, so that brings us to verses 11 through 15. This is the encouragement of our salvation. He says, In him also you, you were circumcised with a circumcision, circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the first thing that we see Paul mentioning here is uh, circumcision. So at first it seems like this seems kind of out of nowhere to bring this up. But remember we talked about those false teachers. And those false teachers were teaching uh, the Colossians that they needed to be going through different rites and rituals and things of the like with that. And so Paul's sitting here telling them these rituals, these rites, are not what saves you. That's not what gives you salvation. That circumcision of the flesh does nothing. Instead, when we give our life to Christ and are baptized with him, we have a circumcision of the heart. We are made new in the heart with him. And that brings us to 13 through 15, which, like I said, are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. And uh, I'm very excited to go through these with you. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
That is a powerful set of verses right there. Um, just praise God. Praise God for what he has done for us. I want us to specifically look here at verse 14, where it says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Christ was crucified, during that time when someone was crucified, they had a tablet or something like that, a piece of wood or something, they would nail it to the cross explaining why that person was being crucified. And just think about this. On that tablet, what should have been there is my sin. It's your sin. It's our sins. Because that's why Christ was on that cross. For our sins. So beloved, just think about that enemy. Just think about Christ on the cross with your sins on that tablet. He's dying that gruesome, gruesome death. And the reason for it is your sin. I said. Now I know for me, you need a whole lot more than one tablet because I'm a wretched sinner. But Christ died for us. He died for all that believe in him. And he died so that we could have a relationship with him. I like we said earlier. Thank the Lord that is not where it is. Because three days later, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. And we can have this relationship with him today. So with that being said, that kind of brings us back to all of our other points here. And that is the why. That is why this encouragement and this instruction is so important. That is why we follow Christ. That is why we do things that don't make sense to the world. That is why we look completely different from the world. That is why people look at us and uh, criticize us many times. That's why we get persecuted. Because Christ died for us. And that is the ultimate punishment anyone can pay. So next time that we're being persecuted with just some minor reason, some minor way, maybe you lose a job. And I know that I say minor losing a job is not a minor thing, but compared to death, it's very minor. Um, next time we just get something said to us, let's rejoice in the Lord in that. Let's thank Him that he has done the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we can be persecuted. We should rejoice in the Lord when we get persecuted for something. Um, and not to mention that here in the United States, we are very fortunate. The persecution we talk about is nothing compared to what other countries see. And we are so, so thankful for that. So as we finish up this point, I want us to talk about some practical ways that we can apply this to our lives. The first is if you are a non-believer here tonight, first I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. We love having you here. Um, and you are always welcome. And with that, if you don't have this relationship with Christ, all you have to do is repent or turn away from your sin and turn to Christ and put your faith in him. See, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved um, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Actually, I have set up. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not for yourself, but it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, beloved, all you have to do is turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord. Now, with that comes a change. It's not an easy change. Um, some things in your life will be harder. 
you'll have to resist things that maybe you've done in your life before. But it's also not like you're immediately going to be made perfect. Every person in heaven is a believer is still very, very imperfect. We're all sinners. We're all striving to grow closer to the Lord. Now, if you're here and you are a believer, I want to talk, I'm going to give you two ways that we can apply this to our lives. Now, these two points are going to sound pretty, pretty simple, and they're things we've already hit, but I want us to dig a little bit deeper and really examine ourselves. The first is just a groundbreaking point, and that is to read and study Scripture. Um, and when, we, when I say read and, start, read and study Scripture, I mean that daily. And I don't mean just open up your Bible, read it for five minutes, and close it. We need to be studying and meditating on God's Word. Uh, I think that too often, as I've said before, I'm preaching to myself here just as much, if not more, as I'm preaching to you. I am no, by no means perfect in this. Uh, but I think we all can have room to grow um, in the way that we spend time with God. Probably not everybody. I'm sure some people have this figured out. I don't say that like, jokingly. Either. I'm sure there are some people that are spending plenty of time with the Lord where they are um, in a good place. But I know for me, I struggle with that. We need to be reading and studying Scripture daily. We should not let work or classes or kids or other uh, commitments come in the way of our time with the Lord. If we don't have time with the Lord, we need to drop something else. Because the Lord is the most important, the most important thing, the most important relationship that we will ever have. It's more important than a relationship with the child, it's more important than a relationship with the spouse with a friend, with a family member, with a co-worker, with a neighbor. It's more important than any of those. And the cool thing is, when we spend time with the Lord and we're closer to Him, typically there's other relationships that flourish even better anyways. Um, to where maybe you're not putting quite as much time into it, but you're going to typically grow closer together if you're both growing closer to the Lord. And with that also, we talked about just the importance of reading and studying Scripture to be able to defend the faith. To be able to go out and share the Gospel. And on top of that, to be an encouragement, like Paul is being an encouragement to the Colossians here, to be an encouragement to others. Somebody's going through a hard time, if you're able to point them to some scripture that will help them through that, that can be a bigger encouragement than anything anybody else will do for them. So we need to be reading and studying and meditating on scripture daily. The second point, as I hit on also earlier, is to be urgent. We need to be urgent in our time with the Word. We need to be urgent and telling people about Christ, and going all the way back to the first point, and to what Pastor David on this morning, we need to be urgent in our unity in the church. We cannot let little disagreements or dissension fester, because as this fester, they will grow more and more and more. We need to be urgent in addressing these matters. We need to be urgent in asking for forgiveness. We need to be urgent in giving forgiveness. We need to be urgent in loving one another. We need to be urgent and just start daily walk with the Lord. Because I know for me, and I see it all the way, all the time around me, is that complacency can be a very, very big deal. Um, and it can be so easy to fall into. Sometimes it's not as good So, beloved, I'll just encourage you, as Paul has encouraged uh, Colossians here, to be urgent, to be spending time in the Word, to love one another and love those outside of these walls. Because love is what binds us all together. It's what knits us all together. So let's all use the encouragement and instruction that God has given us through Paul in this passage and apply it to our daily lives. Let's not just be 
hearers, but also doers of the word. Because Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for us all. And so we are so thankful for that. These little sacrifices that we make on a day-to-day basis, sometimes we fail to make on a day-to-day basis, but these little sacrifices are nothing compared to what he did for us. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for you, Lord. Father, I'm just so thankful that you would use a sinner like me to share the perfect news of your gospel, Lord. Father, I thank you that you would use someone like me that stumbles over words sometimes, God, and you would still use our imperfections to share your word, Father. Father, we are so thankful that you sent your Son to come and pay the punishment for our sins and to defeat that punishment three days on the Lord. Father, I just pray that uh, we would just all be encouraged and instructed by your words through Paul here, Lord. We just love you, we praise you, we thank you. Jesus, we pray.